We would set that up on the end of the dining room table that we don't use very much. And, you know, if we had a few minutes to kill, we would work on a puzzle for a little while and we'd get them done over a matter of days and maybe even weeks. But the problem was we kept getting that 499th piece together and there wasn't another one, okay? And what would happen was somehow that, that last piece would fall on the floor and, you know, you'd think it would be pretty easy to find. But there's this rug under our dining room table that has a pattern to it. And somehow, miraculously, that last piece would disappear in that rug. And if you're at all like me, that's a little frustrating to get 499 pieces together and not be able to find that last one, okay? Here's the more frustrating part. We would put the puzzle back in the box, put it in the basement with all the others, and then about two weeks later, the sun would shine in the window at just the right angle, and there that piece was, miraculously reappeared, okay? It happened over and over. Of course, my family could just be messing with me. That's an option as well. But we like for things to be complete, don't we? I mean, we like to get done with something, and there it is, all finished, looks great. That's true with jigsaw puzzles. It's true in life as well. Maybe if you've got a, a project at home that you want to get it all the way done, and then you can move on, right? Or a project at work, completely finished, a debt paid off, balance down to zero, you're done. We like that feeling of accomplishment and completeness. I think we like that in lots of areas of life, including our spiritual life. We would like to have a sense that we're right with God. I mean, we know that because of our sin, we're not, we're not right with God. We know that we can't fix that, and ultimately that only happens because of the power of Jesus at work on the cross and the power of Jesus at work in us. And so we look for that time when we will be made complete in Christ. Of course, it will never be done in this lifetime, but we look for God to be at work in us so that it will be complete eventually. And that's what I want us to think about over the next few weeks. We're going to spend several weeks studying the book of Colossians, because in that book, Paul talks about our completeness in Christ. Even though we are not perfect, we can be made into the people that God wants us to be. And I want us to think about how that works and what Paul is talking about, how we can anticipate God being at work in our lives in this series called Complete. And so over the next few weeks, you'll have time. Colossians is only four chapters. It's not very long. You could read it in one setting, but you could read through Colossians several times as we study this. And I encourage you to do just that, to spend some time studying what Paul has to say to this group of Christians. So this morning, I want us to begin this series thinking about the overarching themes, and that's what Paul does as he begins the letter, is he talks about the goal. If we want to be complete, what does that, what does that look like? What are we moving toward? And I think Paul shows us just that in this letter at the beginning. Now, a little introduction before we jump into the text. Paul wrote this letter with Timothy, his associate, his apprentice, if you will, but Paul was definitely Timothy's mentor. They worked together in ministry. In fact, several of Paul's letters, if you read the first few lines, what you see is Paul and Timothy. So Timothy was part of the writing of this letter and several others. We know that a couple of books in the New Testament are letters written to Timothy 
from Paul. And so over and over we see Timothy show up in the life of Paul in his letters and in the book of Acts. Now what Colossians is is also a letter. It's a letter from Paul and Timothy to a group of Christians in the city of Colossae, a group that Paul has never met. Now, most of Paul's letters, we, we know there are churches that he really founded. He was the first person to talk about Jesus in lots of ancient cities. But Colossae, he's never been to, at least not as a Christian. What happens is Paul has a great three-year ministry in Ephesus. And during that ministry, he, he, he met a man named Epaphras, who came from the Lycus Valley, where Colossae is, with Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Epaphras learned from Paul about Jesus. And Epaphras did just what Paul encouraged lots of people to do. Go home, talk about Jesus. And Epaphras did that. And because of Epaphras' teaching, many people in Colossae came to Jesus and they formed a church. Epaphras then went back to Paul. And then Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Colossian Christians. Now, what we don't know is where Epaphras went to, because all we know in, in the text of Colossians is that Paul is in prison. Where? Well, he doesn't say. And it may be that Paul, <clears throat> Paul is in Rome. We have uh, imprisonment recorded at the end of the book of Acts where Paul's in Rome under guard. And it may be that Epaphras has traveled all the way from what we would call Western Turkey to Italy to Rome, and he's met Paul there. It may also be that during that three-year ministry that we have recorded of Paul in Ephesus, which was very stormy, there were all kinds of clashes with the authorities that at some point Paul was arrested. That makes a little more sense because it's not that far from Colossians. And what we find is that Paul has also, also come in contact with a man named Onesimus, who was a runaway slave. And when he wrote the letter of Colossians, Paul also wrote a letter to Onesimus' master Philemon that accompanied the book of Colossians back to Colossae. And so Philemon was pleaded with by Paul to accept this runaway slave, Onesimus, who had become a Christian under Paul's teaching and accept him as a brother rather than a slave. So those two books go together, Colossians and Philemon. So to jump into the letter... What does Paul say to the Colossians about becoming complete in Christ? What's the goal? This is how it begins. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul wants to give thanks. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, and the faith and love that spring from the hope, you sto hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. As Paul greets them, he says, I give thanks to God. Over and over, I've prayed for you even though I've never met you, but I'm giving thanks because of what I hear from Epaphras. And two things I'm giving thanks for are your faith and your love. And those two things spring from your hope. Faith, love, and hope. Now we see those three show up in another place. 1 Corinthians 13, we call the love chapter. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, is love. Here they're in a little different order. And Paul says it in a slightly different way. He says, I'm thankful for your faith and your love, your love for God's people, literally your love for the holy ones. We sometimes translate that saints. And we say, 
why is Paul so thankful for their love of these special saints, these super Christians? Well, that's not the way they use the word. The word holy ones, saints, God's people here, really was just the church. We're all holy ones. We're all saints. And we say, well, that seems like saints are special. They are special. We are, we are special. It's not because we've done something special. It's not because we're better than someone else. Certainly not because we're better than other Christians, but because God has chosen to make us holy in Jesus. We can't do that on our own. It only happens because of the power and the action of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul says, I'm thankful for your faith and your love. The word faith here could just as easily and maybe be better translated faithfulness. You remain faithful to Jesus would be a proper translation. So I'm thankful for your faithfulness and your love, which grow from your hope. Now, how do faithfulness and love grow from hope? Well, again, they use the word hope in a little bit different way than we do. You know, I might say, and some of you might give me an amen, I hope we have roast beef for dinner. That'd be okay, right? I hope we do. I don't have a plan for that. There's not a beef roast in the freezer, refrigerator, or anywhere else in our house, but it sure would be nice if we had roast beef for dinner. That'd be better than a peanut butter sandwich, even though I really don't think it's going to happen, okay? <laughs> Hope for us sometimes is almost a wish. It sure would be nice if, right? That's not the way Paul used hope in the first century and certainly not in this setting. Hope was something that they were, or Paul was, confident was going to happen. And because God keeps his promises, Paul was confident that everything that Jesus had promised, everything at work in our lives today and for eternity, would be fulfilled because of the power of God at work. It's that hope we're talking about. Paul's confidence that God is at work. And because he's confident God is at work, that works itself out in faithfulness. I'm going to remain faithful to this God who is at work in me now and will be for eternity and love. I'm going to show the same kind of love that God has for me to the people around me. That's our mission, right? Love God, love others. So that's what Paul says. And then he goes on to describe the, the Christian life. What does it actually look like if, if we're encouraged because of our faith and love and hope? Here's what we're working toward. Beginning in verse 9, there's a lot. I'm just going to read this and then we're going to think about what it says together. So just try to follow. I know there's a lot going on here. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you. Again, Paul doesn't know them. He's just heard about them. <clears throat> for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people 
in the kingdom of light. So what does Paul say? He says, I've heard about you, and what I pray for you is that God will fill you with knowledge and wisdom through his Spirit. So above all, Paul wants them to be filled with God's Spirit because that informs them and it gives them wisdom. And he says, if you've got that, if you've got God's Spirit at work in you, giving you strength, wisdom, and knowledge, then you can live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. And for Paul, the goal here is living this worthy life. All right? Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He's been buried, been raised, ascended into heaven, and it's our call to live a life worthy of what he's done. Again, not because we're so great, but because God is at work through his spirit. That's what Paul says here. But what does that goal look like? What does that worthy life look like? Paul says it has four characteristics here, and we're going to go through them quickly. He says it bears fruit in good works. It bears fruit in good works. In other words, the worthy life is not just about, okay, I can answer every Bible trivia question that you can throw at me, okay? It is about knowledge, and we'll come to that in a minute. And, and he says it's about knowledge and wisdom, but it's empty unless we take all of that and do something with it. It's empty unless we take our knowledge and wisdom and live them out. There should be something that changes about our lives because we have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. The way that we treat people, the way that we do our work, the way that we spend our money and our time change because we're following Jesus Christ. And because we know more, because we understand more, because the Spirit is at work in us, we bear fruit. We do something. Second thing, it grows in the knowledge of God. And Paul says this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not just that we study. Now, that's how we encourage this, right? But when we study, when we gather together for study especially, the Spirit of God is at work in us together. And we need to, to grow in this knowledge. Because if we want to know God, then we need to study what He's given us. Now, we know God through studying His Word, and we know God because God is active in our lives. And we can see that God is working and leading and showing us the path and giving us strength. So the worthy life is characterized by, by doing something and then growing in the knowledge of God. And then third, strengthened by the power of God. You know, life is hard sometimes. And nobody has a life that is always easy because there's death and there's sickness and disease there's shortages of things that we need, whether it's money, time, talent, whatever it is. We don't feel like we have enough. There's terrible things that happen in our world, and we sometimes don't know what to do with them. And the way that we get through it is that we are strengthened by the power of God. That's really the only way it can happen. We don't get through stuff because just... Hey, we're Christians and we're better, stronger, fiercer than everyone else. We get through stuff. We grieve in a way that is different from the rest of the world, Paul says elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians. Because God's at work. Because God's Spirit 
is at work. And then finally, we give thanks. In worthy life, it gives thanks to God. That makes sense. If, if God is strengthening us and giving us greater knowledge, and if He's bearing fruit through us, then our response is going to be to give thanks to this God who's at work in our lives and who has changed us through Jesus. Now, if we think about all that, if we think about the goal that Paul has set before us, that God really wants for us this worthy life, if we think about the, the prayer that Paul prays for these Christians, I think the lesson that we take from this is that God is far from finished with you and me. When we think about completeness, man, we look in our lives sometimes and say, I am nowhere near what God wants me to be. Like I can see many different places where I am incomplete, where I'm a long way from being the kind of person that God would be proud of, where, where I'm not living this life that would be worthy of what Jesus has done for me. But the good news is, yeah, you're incomplete and I'm incomplete, but God's not finished. He's still working. He's still helping you to grow. He's still strengthening you. He's still filling in the gaps of knowledge. He's showing you how you put that into life. And so as we think about growing into completeness, God's still at work in you. And if you feel a little stuck, if you feel like, man, I'm not going as quickly as I should, God is still moving you along. You are not in this alone. But it does leave us with some responsibilities. And I want us to list those quickly three. First is to allow God's word to challenge you. Allow God's word to challenge you. If we want to grow in our knowledge of God, if we want to grow in wisdom, certainly the spirit of God is going to be at work to help us do that. But so often the way the spirit works is when we study his word. God's spirit guides us in that study. And so we've got to allow God's word to say, okay, here's one of the areas that you're incomplete. Here's one of the places that you really need to grow. Here's one of the things that needs to change about the way you're treating your spouse, your kids, your grandparents, your grandchildren, your parents, whoever it may be, coworkers, church people. Here's a hole you've missed. Now, it's not up to you to solve it on, all on your own, but once we've allowed God's Word to identify it, then God's Spirit can help us fill in that hole, that incompleteness. So allow God's Word to challenge you. Allow God to be at work in you. That means opening ourselves up. This means prayer. This means paying attention to God's leading. God leads in lots of different directions, sometimes through His Word. Sometimes we can tell God is calling us to do something and we may try to ignore it for a while and then we eventually say, you know what? It's time to allow this to happen. It's time for me to choose God's path rather than my own path. But allow God to be at work. Allow God to help you see the incompleteness. God is a good way of doing that. And sometimes what's called for is our repentance. And then finally, work toward this worthy life. And think about these things that Paul says to do. I mean, they're pretty clear. Bear fruit, live the life, grow in the knowledge. Be strengthened, give thanks, simple things. This is one of those places where the Bible is really, really practical. It's not just theoretical about the way that certain things work. This is everyday 
life. God is far from finished with you. And God wants to be at work in your life. God wants to bring you toward completion, becoming complete in what Jesus has done. But you've got to open up yourself to him. And that means opening God's word. That means opening your heart in prayer. You know, the thing about prayer is sometimes we think we're calling on God to change, and when it's all over, we recognize that what's really happened is not so much that God has changed his plan as that God has changed my plan. And that's part of what God is doing in each one of us. Recognizing that what we think is just the only way to go is not God's way. And when God helps us to see that, then we can become more and more complete. And that happens in reading God's Word, studying it together, sharing in prayer, praying to God personally. All those things are us opening ourselves up to this God who is far from finished with us. Let's pray together. God, we know we're incomplete. But you've helped us to see the goal. And God, as we read through Paul's words, we're reminded that there's so much to do and there's so much to allow you to be at work doing. And so God, we pray that you'll help us to see just that. And maybe it's the first steps of faith that we need to take, or maybe we've been doing this for many years and we need to open ourselves up to you in new ways. God, whatever's needed, we pray that you'll show us so that we'll be the kind of people who live a life that is worthy of what Christ has done. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.